Hey, just a heads up. Uh, before we get into this, just a quick heads up regarding Opportunity International. Breaking news is uh, Ant Clark, who, who represents Opportunity International here in WA, uh, contacted me in December. And they're bringing out a girl named Amina Mendez from the Philippines. Uh, she's in her early 20s. She's actually someone whose mom took out uh, or was given a, 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 some micro, a micro loan, a small loan, a couple of hundred U.S. dollars. Um, which allowed them to expand their own livelihood as a family, put her two daughters, you know, which Amina was one of the daughters, through education, which allowed Amina to eventually actually study at university in uh, the U.S., um, study mathematics. And she's actually gone back to the Philippines, and she now works for the partner organization who lent her mom the first loan in the first place. Uh, and now she's actually there doing more. So she's going to be here with Ant, and we're going to spend the morning interviewing her, hearing her story, and just getting an actual first-hand look of just what an incredibly powerful impact, like 100 US dollars or 200 US dollars, can actually make uh, in someone's life. So we'll let you know more about that. It's in March, and uh, we'll talk about that. All right. It's January 5. It's our first time together as Elevate Church, our first live experience, and uh, we want to really set the year up well. Um, I posted on social media this week a quote by the author Mark Twain. He said, quitting smoking is the easiest thing I've ever done. In fact, I've done it hundreds of times. And the reason that quote caught my eyes is that I know some of you feel that way about some of the challenges and some of the obstacles that you have faced and potentially right now do face in your life. And one of the things that God's been stirring up in me is that this year, 2014, would be a defining year for every one of you, would be actually a year of breakthrough. Some of you I know, you've shared your stories with me that you need breakthrough in, in, in things like Sam we prayed for this morning in the area of employment. You're either unemployed or you're in a job that you know you're not fulfilling your God-given potential. And this year, you know, you know you need breakthrough. Some of you have been treading water, nostril deep in financial debt, and, uh, and you need some breakthrough. Some of you, you need some relational. Some of you, emotional. Some of you uh, need some breakthrough in people that you've been praying for, for them to come to know Jesus. Well, this year, we really wanted to set up as a year of breakthrough. And uh, we're talking about this subject called the new rules of resolution. And the reason we've called it the new rules of resolution is actually one of the best things that you can do this year, at the start of this year, is actually not just change, but change the way you've changed. That, that, that maybe some of the approaches you've taken in the past haven't actually worked. And, and, and in hindsight, you the best thing you can do is to actually not just think, well, it's the beginning of a new year. I'm going to make some resolutions. I'm going to change. But actually, one of the best things you can do is to change the way you change. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to teach five facts on change, five facts to help you change the way you change. And my uh, strongest encouragement for you is to be here for every single one of those five Sundays so that you can actually drill down into these five facts that will help you change 
the way you change and for you to better position yourself at the beginning of 2014 for breakthrough. And the first fact is actually a fact that all of the other four facts that we'll go on to teach in the next four weeks actually hangs on. And it's simply this. Fact number one, change is not a project. It's a process. And the big idea, the the big uh, scripture that we're going to hang this entire five-week conversation on is something that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And I actually want to encourage you to memorize this. It's not a very long uh, chunk of scripture. I want you to memorize this. I want to encourage you to memorize this. I might even pick on you to come up here next week and demonstrate to the rest of the class that you've done your homework and memorized this. But actually, memorize it not to pass a test, but memorize it because this truth, if you can have it sink down deep into your soul and have it overflow in your everyday life, will actually help you change the way you change. And this is what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He said to them, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. How about you read this out with me? Class, ready? Let's go. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Write that somewhere. Put it on, you know, get your wife's lipstick and put it on the mirror. Whatever it, make that prominent over this next five weeks. And for you to, as I said, not just memorize this for the sake of an exam, but memorize this so that it can sink down deep in your heart. One of the best things you can do is to meditate, to chew on Scripture, God's Word. And as you chew on it, it digests and it starts to produce what it's meant to produce. Occasionally, uh, I do conduct weddings. I, I only do them for Elevate people, but I conduct weddings. And this year, I uh, conducted a couple of weddings. Here's some photographic evidence to, uh, to prove that. And, um, you know, I do a wedding, and, uh, like, I, you know, my job's kind of the easy bit. I sort of turn up on the day and, and, and do the business, and, uh, and, and then we're done. And, and we all know that, that weddings are largely organized by the bride, and uh, we grooms are quite okay with that. Um, and, and, and there's a big, long checklist these days. You can actually, you know, you, you can buy the, the big, thick bridal magazines. And at the back is like a three-page checklist of all the stuff you need to organize. You know, the photographer and the this and the that. And, and the engagement period is no longer about this kind of consideration period, it's, it's just buying yourself some time to get it all together for the wedding day. And so I turn up and, uh, and, and, and the, the groomsmen and the, the groom and the groomsmen, they're all like totally chilled. I mean, they literally had nothing to do. Most of them have had nothing to do up to that date. And even on that date, they're just like hoping she's going to show up. That's kind of about the only stress levels that turn up. And the bride, you know, I meet them out in the car park. They come in with the bridal party. And, and, you know, even on a good day, most brides are still sweating bullets. They're like, you know. And it's not, it's not that they're, 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 you know, oh, gee, you know, is she a bit nervous? Is she, is she, is she going to change her mind? It, it, they're, they're just, most of the time, they're just nervous, hoping this whole thing's going to work. 
because of all the time and the effort they've put into it. And so we get and we do the ceremony. And at the end, you know, we sign the register. And then I say, now present to you, Mr. and Mrs. Hooli Dooley and Hooli Dooley. And, uh, and everyone applauds. And, and, I can, and I, to a person, I can see every single time that bride, the look on her face is like, whew, thank God that's over. And I tried to get a glance, and I tried to look at them and say to them, yep, and you've just started a whole nother thing. Because that guy next to you, you have to wake up next to him tomorrow. And Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and infinitum. A wedding isn't the closing ceremony. A wedding is the opening ceremony. See, a wedding is a project. But developing a strong and healthy marriage is a process. And we've become somewhat project-oriented in our culture. Some more than others. Some of you are very project-oriented. We've become very project oriented and we and we and we sometimes look for miracle solutions especially right now it's january and if you if you channel surf across the commercials there's a lot of commercials playing to our uh, project kind of orientation for new year's resolutions gym memberships go up by 12 percent in the month of january every single year the tide rises i tend not to go in january because there's all it's just too crowded but i go back on the february 1st and everything's back to normal we nod at the people that were there in December. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. All those New Year's project people have left. TV for me, one of the new digital shopping channels are advertising Tap Out XT. Very project oriented. If you're a guy, the promise is that you can be the next success story. It'll only take 90 days. And when you look in the mirror, that's what you'll look like with or without the bandana. Mike Mason, who lost 45 pounds, 20 kilos in 90 days, just by doing Tap Out XT. And another success story, Carly Portalupi, which actually means brought wolves, but she probably doesn't know that, uh, got ripped in just 90 days. And so what we do is we buy the Tap Out XT, and it arrives in the mail, and we think, yes, project 90 days to look like Mike and Carly. Awesome. And so we get stuck. Now, now, now what Tap Out XT don't, see, they sell this to you with a money-back guarantee. That if after 90 days you haven't achieved certain benchmarks, you can actually send it back. Tap Out XT don't put up the photos of the failure stories. You know, Johnny Boomba still looks like Johnny Boomba at day 91, and here's his returned Tap Out XT to prove it. I don't know what, they're not going to release those sorts of metrics as to what the, the, the success failure rate is, but, but, but this whole 90-day thing, a lot of the people that order this sort of stuff, they forget that it was a process to get in, you know, to get out of shape, and, and, and they've been investing in that process for a lot longer than 90 days, and it may very well, whether you like it or not, this doesn't market very well, 
It may likely take you more than 90 days to climb back out of this hole, whatever the hole is. And this can apply to us physically. It can apply to us financially. If you've been overspending, if you've been spending more than you earn for more than 90 days, it's probably going to take you more than 90 days to get out of it because it's not a project, it's a process. And some of us, we take this exact same approach with God. When we choose to make Jesus our Lord, the Bible word is that we are saved, that, that we were once bound for hell and we've now made a decision to make Jesus our Lord and he changes us. He changes everything. He takes us from death to life, from hell to heaven, from uh, disconnected from God to having a restored relationship with God. We're saved. That happens in an instant when we make that decision. But I know people who've made that decision and they still struggle with temptation and they still experience failure. And they've said to me, I don't understand this. I've chosen to follow Jesus. I've chosen to make him my Lord. And yet not everything about my life is perfect now. What's the deal with that? Have I been sold a lie? Why am I still struggling. The problem is we expect Jesus, often we expect Jesus to do a complete makeover in one weekend, like the the domestic backyard blitz programs. You know, Jesus and Bunnings will fix your life in a weekend. And it doesn't work that way because God's a God of process. And you're not a project and his complete transformation of you and I is not a project, it's a process. Us actually choosing to make Jesus our Lord, that's not the closing ceremony. It's the opening ceremony to the process of God transforming us. In fact, and I've said it before, but I'll use this in in slightly different language. Paul, the same guy who wrote to the church in Colossae, this this verse that we're going to be building our whole five-week teaching series on, he uses this word saved. Okay, it's a churchy word. Okay, you will find it in the Bible. He, he talks about that at the point that we say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I choose to follow you. I choose to make you my Lord. Paul says at that time, in that instant, we are saved. Fantastic. Interestingly, Paul goes on to write that from that point, we are being saved. And at face value, that doesn't make sense. Because if I've already been saved, why am I still being saved? Well, it, 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 it's kind of, it's just a matter of simple English, okay? That Paul says, at this point in time, when we make Jesus our Lord, from that day, we can speak in the past tense that we have been saved. We've been saved from death. We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from being disconnected from God. That happened in an instance. That's In English, we would say that word saved is in the past tense. Paul, though, alludes to a process or, or writes about a process of our restoration our being made into the image of Jesus, our, our, our becoming holy, 
the, the, the churchy word is called sanctification, being made holy, that, that that is a process. And when he uses the word saved in the context of this process, that word in English is in the present continuous text. You follow? So we have been saved in the past tense. Fantastic. We're made right with God. We have a relationship with him. We're saved from hell. We're saved from death. And the process of being transformed, it's a process in the present continuous tense. And that's where you and I live today. It's not, that was a project. That was a moment in time. But this, this, this thing that you and I do, this outworking of our salvation It's a process in the present continuous tense. And understanding that helps contextualize why God just didn't do an extreme makeover in the course of a weekend. Let me revisit this thing that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. This is exactly the point. So just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, saved, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, being saved, process. God is a God of process. And I wonder, as we look at the beginning of 2014, I wonder how many of you feel like maybe 2013 or maybe you can reach back even further, have been circling around a particular issue. And you feel like you've just been doing laps and not actually making any progress. Whether it's a pursuit of a a new and better job and you've sent out the resumes, you've exhausted seek.com.au send button, you've done it all. And and yet, you know, maybe you had a, a sniff Maybe you had a little bit of, you know, some bait out there. You got an interview, but you didn't get the job. And, and, oh, and, and you feel like you're going back around doing more laps. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's a financial thing. Maybe that's what you needed breakthrough in. And you prayed for breakthrough and you started to do a budget and you started to live below your means. And then, boom, in came a big unexpected bill. And, and you went back beyond where you even started from. And you feel like, You're just doing laps. How many have ever felt like this in some situation or situation situations in life? And you guys know this as well as I know this. That gets tiresome. That gets discouraging. And the and the problem is, is it is by the way, is that it doesn't actually end there. It gets tiresome. You get discouraged, and and some of you possibly a one step away from feeling defeated and giving up. And I believe for those of you that are in that situation, this is God's word for you today. This is God's word of encouragement that you need to understand that God is a God of process. One of the most influential leadership books that I've read in the last decade is a book by Jim Collins uh, called Good to Great. And uh, this book's fantastic. It's actually informed uh, quite a lot of my leadership approach and actually has informed uh, some of our leadership approach here at Elevate Church. And um, one, of the, one of the people, Jim Collins is a business uh, analyst 
and uh, he, he writes these sorts of books from actual hard data taken from real life uh, companies, not just kind of theoretical stuff. In this book, Good to Great, one of the people he features is, uh, is a guy named Admiral James Stockdale. Now, Admiral James Stockdale was, was the highest ranking American uh, military officer during the Vietnam War to have been held as a, as a prisoner of war. Okay? He was held as a POW for eight years in, in, in the prison that he was held in. It was brutal. They, they nicknamed it the Hanoi Hilton, uh, but it was anything but a Hilton. And uh, for that eight-year period, Admiral James Stockdale was in prison as a POW with many, many other um, American POWs. And during that eight years, he was tortured over 20 times and, and like, brutally tortured. Uh, and, and he devised a, a system. Admiral James Stockdale devised a system during that eight-year period where he was able to get some communication out to his wife back in the U.S., and, and she was able to get some communication back to him during that eight-year period in the Hanoi Hilton. And, the, and, and those letters, that, that, those, those communiques between husband and wife were actually chronicled um, by Admiral Stockdale uh, in a book called Love, In Love and War. And uh, Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, he talks about that, that he was sitting in his office reading this book in love and war, reading the letters between Admiral James Stockdale and his wife. Now, Admiral James Stockdale ultimately made it out. Ultimately, after that eight-year period as a POW in the Hanoi Hilton, actually got out, okay? That's a known fact. And so Jim Collins was reading these, these stories between Admiral Stockdale and his wife. He was reading them knowing how the story ended, Right, knowing that he got out, knowing that it ended well, that James Stockdale is alive and well. He said, and I, I was reading these letters, I was reading this book in Love and War, knowing how the story ended and still getting depressed as I was reading it. He said, and so I couldn't wait. I had to ask Admiral Stockdale. He said, I was reading this, these letters, knowing how it ended, getting depressed. How is it? That you, while you were writing those letters, not knowing if you'd ever get out, how was it that you didn't get depressed during those eight years? Well, let me read this to you. So Jim Collins writes, as I moved through the book, I found myself getting depressed. It just seemed so bleak, the uncertainty of his fate, the brutality of his captors and so forth. And then it dawned on me, here I am sitting in my warm and comfortable office looking over the beautiful Stanford campus on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And I'm getting depressed reading this, knowing the end of the story, knowing that he gets out, that he reunites with his family, becomes a national hero and gets to spend the later years of his life studying philosophy on the same beautiful campus. If it feels depressing for me, how on earth did he deal with it when he was actually there and did not know the end of the story? Well, this is what James Stockdale, this is how he answered the question. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect 
I would not trade. Jim Collins writes, I didn't say anything for many minutes. And then we continued the slow walk towards the faculty club, Stockdale limping, and Ark swinging his stiff leg that had never fully recovered from the repeated torture. And finally, after about 100 meters, I asked him, who didn't make it out? Oh, that's easy, Stockdale said. The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand, I said, now completely confused, given that what he'd said 100 meters earlier. Yeah, the optimists. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, oh, well, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. Another long pause and more walking. And then he turned to me and said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. To this day, I carry a mental image of Stockdale admonishing the optimists. We're not getting out by Christmas. Deal with it. Stockdale embraced what I call long arc thinking. Long arc thinking, the best way I can, I can show you is simply by reflecting it diagrammatically. Project people think in short arcs. Project people have a short run-up to the event and a very short window after the event. Long arc thinking spans right back far into the past and continues to take us far into the future. And Stockdale, he didn't live Easter to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving to Christmas, Christmas to Easter. He embraced long arc thinking, a faith that he would prevail in the end, but understand that in my present, it's pretty bleak. In my present, it's not good. And some of you, as you've walked laps around this thing or these things that you need some breakthrough in, you may have been walking those laps with a short arc thinking mentality. And in fact, the lap metaphor is maybe the thing that's actually stopping you because a lap is a project. We start the lap and we finish the lap and we go one. And then we start the same lap. Long arc thinking is not about a lap. Long arc thinking is about a journey. Long arc thinking is about a destination. Long arc thinking is about going from A to B. A to B isn't always a straight line, you understand. But it's a, a long arc that's going to make all the difference. So instead of thinking while you're in your present situation, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this thing together? My word from God for you is, it's a process. God thinks in a long arc, and he's patient. 
And that's why Paul can say confidently to you and I, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Now, about six years ago, before the, the uh, advent of the iPhone, which you can now kind of do everything in a disconnected manner, I had an iPod. And an iPod, the, the, the songs from my iPod were kind of stored on my computer and, and stored on my iPod at the same time. But if I loaded a, a CD, some of you might remember them, a CD to my laptop, I had to then sync my iPod via a cable to my laptop or the songs that were on the CD don't ultimately get to my iPod. You with me? Some of you lived through that very dark era in history. And one of the things that you would see displayed, I would see displayed on my iPod when I had it via the ubiquitous white cable attached to my computer is this message, do not disconnect. And what I knew that while this process of synchronizing was taking place, that if I was to disconnect from the source, my computer, that the very thing that my computer was trying to actually download through a process into my iPod would be completely lost. And some of you right here, right now, who have an issue that you need some breakthrough in, God's word for you today is don't disconnect. God is a God of process and he's patient. He thinks long arc. So in the present, don't disconnect. Also, one other thing that you can change the way you change is when you look to the past, when you think about the past, don't major on thinking about all of the failures. Don't major on thinking about all of the times you, you, you didn't get it right, all of the ground you haven't yet made. Okay? I'm not saying deny that, but, but actually, how about as you move into 2014, spend a bit more time looking back at how far you have come, how far God has brought you, and, and celebrate those goals along the way. Don't wait till you hopefully win the game to celebrate. Celebrate the goals along the way. You will find that as you look back and celebrate how far you've come, and as you get in the habit of, of as looking back into the past of thinking, you know what, God, I'm not there yet. I'm not into the future that I, that I know you have for me. I'm not where I know you want me to be, but I'm so grateful of how far I've already come. That that's going to be far more motivating than you reflecting on what you think is doing laps and getting discouraged and ultimately defeated. And then with this long arc thinking, there's a need to look into the future and look far into the future. James Stockdale had to keep a window that he didn't even know how far was going to be into the future. We now know ultimately it was eight years, which is a pretty long time, especially when you're living in captivity, being tortured and not knowing if you're even going to get out. He had to embrace the future long arc thinking. Well, some of us, one of the most empowering things that we can do is embrace long arc thinking into the future. We do actually know how the story ends. For those of us that follow Jesus, the story ends with us being united with him face to face, with us living in his presence 
without any sin, without any sickness, without any separation, without any want, without any lack. That's how the story ends. We get to leave all of the bad stuff behind. I mean, it's not all bad on this earth. I love life. But there is some bad stuff. We get to leave all of the bad stuff. That is actually how the story ends. We need to embrace long arc thinking into the future. Bill Gates said, too many people overestimate what they can achieve in one year, but underestimate what they can achieve in 10 years. And if you have a 10-year perspective, long arc thinking, you're going to push on because you're not going to be measuring pass or fail in weeks or months, but actually in a longer term. Now, here's a couple of notes just as we bring this to an end. Here's a couple of caveats, okay? Fact number one, it's not a project, it's a process. This is not an excuse for you to be lazy. This is not an excuse for you to do nothing. This is not an excuse when your spouse, your kids, your boss challenges you to step up, challenges you to go. You you can't just say, well, I'm sorry, it's not a project, it's a process. And uh, Mark Pomery said that I should embrace long arc thinking, so uh, check back in the 10 years because, uh, you know, this uh, time window that you've set for me doesn't suit me. You'll only get to the 10-year mark by actually making steps, by actually taking steps. So this isn't an excuse, all right? Understand that. Do you understand that? The other thing is it should remind us not to write other people off. When, when the people in our lives mess up, and they will, when the people in our world disappoint us, and they will, remember, it, it's not a project, it's a process. And they're in process just like you're in process. So let's wheel back right around to this, this, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And I want to point something out to you. Paul said, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus, our Lord, saved. Continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Note these words. Continue to live your lives in him. Some of you may have expected that to say for him. Right? And if it did say for him, many of you wouldn't have blinked at that. That sounds about right. Right? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives for him. That that sounds about right, right? But that's not what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, continue to live your lives in him. It's not a command, it's an invitation. And that makes all the difference. Because it's actually living our lives in 
Jesus that empowers us and enables us to ultimately live our lives for him. But to make living our lives for him as the starting point smacks of a project. And it's not. It's a process. It's a process of us being transformed. And in response to that transformation, we say, we're going to take this message out. A response to our living our lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Plants don't live for the soil that they're planted in. They live in the soil that they're planted in and they bear fruit for the one who planted them. And that's us. We don't first and foremost live our lives for Jesus. We first and foremost live our lives in him. And by the way, that's what we taught last week. If you weren't here, you can get onto our podcast and we taught how to actually live your lives in him. But it's an invitation. An invitation to continue in the process. Rooted and built up in him. And that's our invitation as we start 2014. This thing or these things that you need breakthrough in. It's a process. God's got a process. You're in process. And he invites you to continue in the process. And it might not be a straight line. And it almost never goes as quickly as we would like. And because it's not a straight line and because God doesn't march to the beat of our calendar, we won't always understand it and we won't always like it. But he just says, continue in the process. Trust him. Follow him. Some of you, I talked about this idea many times this morning, that when you make a decision to make Jesus your Lord, at that moment, the Bible word, the churchy word is that you're saved. And to just throw that out there doesn't mean much to to a lot of people. It's not a word that we we throw around. Well, actually, it is a word that we throw around. But we only throw it around in a certain context. Right now, there's a group of explorers in the Antarctic Circle stuck uh, on their vessel in an ice pack, and they can't get out. And so just in the last couple of days, they've been sending in uh, other boats, which weren't successful in saving them. And now they've taken to sending in some helicopters to save them. We use the word saved right? And we understand it in that context, right? What, what, what are they saving them from? Well, they're saving them from certain death when, when, the, when the food runs out. Um, there, there aren't many options down there as far as uh, vegetable gardening goes um, and uh, raising your own livestock. Uh, so they save those people. Well, this word saved has the exact same imagery that you and I, without God, Separated from him, we, we, we can't get to him. We, we, we're always going to fall short. No amount of trying and striving and polishing ourselves up is going to get to him. And so what he did is he sent Jesus. And we just finished celebrating Christmas, celebrating that moment in history where God moved first, where God sent his son Jesus. Because 
We couldn't bridge up. We couldn't save ourselves and get back into a relationship with God. He sent Jesus to do that for us. And Jesus, when we come to Easter, we remember that he died for us in our place so that we could have a relationship with God, that we were saved from separation. We were saved from death. We were saved from our sin. And I know many of you have actually made that decision to, to, to allow God to save you, but some of you haven't. Quite likely, I haven't met you all, so I'm going to just put it out there. It's quite likely some of you haven't. Well, we're going to give you that opportunity right now to invite Jesus to be your Lord, to say, I want to actually put my faith in you, put my trust in you. And he promises that if you present yourself to him, if you invite him in and you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, that he will save you from a separation from God. He will save you from an eternity in hell and instead restore your relationship with God, save you into his presence. So right now, We're going to give you that opportunity. If you've never actually made that decision and allowed Jesus to save you, kind of sounds like a funny word. We don't normally use that word around here, but you get it today. If you've never made that decision, we're going to give you that opportunity right now. And and, and basically, we we, we don't like to make this too complicated. All I want you to do, by way of actually saying to God, yeah, I want you to save me. I want to have that relationship with you. I want to accept that gift that you sent, your son Jesus. I just want you to put your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're just going to take a moment. We're going to pray. And then we're done. We don't want to miss anyone. And, and we would say this is the most important thing that we do every week. So just right now, as we close out, as I'm looking around, for those of you that have never actually made that decision to allow Jesus to save you, you've never actually prayed that prayer, how about you slip your hand up right now and just show him, hey, God, that's me. That's me today. When I see a hand, you can put it down and then we're going to pray. The rest of us praying now, just uh, letting God do his thing. Well, guys, one of the most important things that I have on my list for breakthrough this year is breakthrough in seeing people that aren't yet following Jesus, be used by us to connect them to him. That's the sort of breakthrough that I want to see. That's the sort of breakthrough. We, we don't want to just be a, a closed club, members only. You know, we hand out membership cards and the rest of the people can get stuffed. It's actually, no, we, we're, we're an open uh, club and we want to be making sure God uses us to invite people in who can hear his truth hear his word. You know people right now who would have benefited incredibly from the good news this morning (laughs) that God's a God of process, that they've been doing laps and beating themselves up. So I want you to be here for the next five weeks. I want you to get that passage that that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae and memorize that, uh, especially those of you that are paid to be here. Might be, might be part of your annual performance review, Pete. And, uh, and it is a pass-fail for you, my friend. Um, that's the metrics. Memorize that. <laughs> well, next week we're going to continue teaching on the new rules of resolution. Fact number two next week is simply it's not about achieving. It's about receiving. And those of you project people, task-oriented people, performance-oriented people, 
going to have some great news for you next week. So be here. Now, during the week, Neil, Baden confessed to us that he's become a coffee snob. And he blamed you because of the high quality of coffee that we get to enjoy every single week. I, I, I was already a coffee snob, but you've certainly done nothing to cause me to come down from that ledge. And uh, I believe that this morning's coffee, is it the same as last week? Yeah, well, what, you didn't, I remember. Uh, it is delicious, Pete, delicious. Brazilian Dolce is the coffee this morning, so please help yourselves. Make sure you make our first-time guests welcome this morning. And be here next week, fact number two, the new rules of resolution.